Well, thank you, Jeff. And uh, it, is, it is really good to be here. Um, it's been uh, about a year ago, so this would be my home church. I consider this my home church. I came to faith through the ministry of this church. Uh, I was able to visit on a random Sunday where I kind of had a Sunday off about a year ago. But other than that, it's been about seven years since I've really been able to be here. Um, and, uh, and it's been about seven years since I've been able to preach here. And a lot has changed. Wow, I mean, the projects that have been done, lights, this pulpit is new and different and much better than the old one. And, and uh, it is so good to be with you. And it's so good to meet so many new faces, but also to see many familiar faces. So it's really good to be back. Let's go ahead and just open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you this morning. I thank you for this local body of believers here, this body that I owe personally such a debt to for the investment that this body has made in my life and in the lives of my family. And Lord, I just I thank you for the opportunity to be able to go into the Word together this morning. And I pray as we open the word, as we explore it, as we seek to learn from it, Lord, I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you would use me and my words to teach and preach truth to your people, Lord. And I ask that you would keep me from speaking any error. And Father, we just ask now that you would open our hearts to your word, to the truths therein. Help us to learn. Help us to be more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So, as I mentioned, I certainly owe a debt to this church. I was a, a 12-year-old boy, the same age as my son sitting back there, right there behind Rick, and I was about five blocks that way, out skateboarding, not a churchgoer, not a Christian, and this church used to do a ministry called Neighborhood Bible Time. And they came by and they said, hey, we have a thing tonight at church. You should come. And I'm like, I don't know. And they said, we have free pizza. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm there. <laughs> so I went and I came here uh, to, for free pizza. And I heard the gospel. And I had never heard the gospel before. The good news that through Jesus, I could be saved. I could be redeemed. I could know for sure. And I never heard that before. And I was generic American Christian, but there I am here, and I'm just like, they ask for a raise of hands, I raise my hand. I go talk to Ed Elliott, some of you know who that is. And that night, I put my faith in Jesus. And my life is transformed. And I missed all the free pizza. Can you believe they put the preaching right before the free pizza? Anyway. <laughs> Since then, I've had plenty of pizza, so don't feel sorry for me. But the debt that I owe to this church doesn't stop there. The ministry of this church has been profound in my life. There was one-on-one -on -one discipleship that happened after that. There was so much investment and encouragement in my life. I ended up going to school here only my senior year. So I went to this school for one year, but my 12th grade year, I was able to graduate from this school. I went off to, uh, to Bible, Bible college, graduated from Bob Jones, came back to this church, when my father-in-law, Dean Hallberg, was pastor, I was able to serve here for about three years as a volunteer assistant pastor before I went back off to seminary 
and, um, and then ended up getting a job as a pastor at a church in Union City. We merged with a church in Fremont, and that's where I am today. And thankfully, our church has three pastors that are, that are on staff, and we have a fourth pastor who is on staff that's partnering with us to plant a church right now in San Jose. So because of the amount of people that we have, it was when I heard what was going on here with Pastor Snow moving on, I called uh, Rick first and then talked to Jeff, and I just said, hey, I have a lot of freedom and flexibility because of our situation. I would love to be able to come and help in any way that I can, and so here I am. And so then I get on this calendar, and I'm like, okay, well, what am I going to preach? What do I want to preach? Because I haven't had an opportunity to preach here for seven years. And I just am thinking of the church and the debt that I owe to this body of believers and the, the partnership that I feel with you. And even my ministry up there, I feel that, that the people that I'm partnered with there and the people that I minister to there, they owe a debt to you as a body of believers for the investment in my life. And I just felt this intense gospel partnership as I really thought about it. And a while back, we preached through the book of Philippians. And as I was thinking about the book of Philippians, I thought, you know, the way Paul felt towards that church, his love, his bond with that church, I feel that with this church. Now, it's not the same. I'm, I, I don't have that same relationship that Paul had with the Philippian church. But as I thought through it, I was like, yeah, that, I, I feel that way. And so I'm not going to preach a sermon in Philippians, actually, but we're going to preach a sermon about, does this, I don't know how this works. There we go. I'm going to preach a sermon that is about the church in Philippi, but actually we're going to spend our times in Acts 16 because this particular church, we have recorded the establishment of that church in Acts 16. And you can go ahead and turn there if you want, but I am going to start by reading the opening of the book of Philippians. So that it, it should be on the screen. Hopefully you can follow along. I'm going to read and give us some commentary before we get into Acts, but just to give us some framework. So Philippians 1.1 says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints, so he's addressing it to everybody there in the church who are at Philippi with the overseers, those are the pastors, so apparently this church at this point has multiple pastors and deacons, so they have multiple pastors, multiple deacons, and a congregation of people, and so he's saying to this church and to the pastors and to the deacons, grace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. So this is kind of like, well, as, I, as I think about this church, it's just, I think of Calvary and I am thankful. I am so thankful because without the ministry of this church that God used in my life, I don't have, I have no idea where I would be. So I thank God in all of my remembrance for you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So the first day right there, we're going to read about the first day. We're going to learn about the first day when we go to Acts 16. And then I have the privilege of getting to preach to you tonight, too. So for those of you who do come to the evening service, it's not really a part one and a part two. But tonight we're going to go to the now. We're going to have a sermon in the book of Philippians for the evening where we explore the now, Paul's now. But it, right now we're going to go to Paul's first day. Verse 6, and I am sure of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment. Paul is currently in prison. He's writing from prison. He's writing actually to encourage this church because he is in prison and they are concerned for him both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. That's my prayer for this church. And even as I look at your future at this point and the process that you have ahead of you, I certainly pray for you in that process as well. So if you had turned to Philippians, turn now to Acts 16. Now, I don't always preach lots and lots of verses, and I want to tell you, up front that there are going to be a significant amount of verses that we're going to uh, go through in uh, this sermon. But please be aware, these, these verses are storytelling. And so as we go through those verses, it's not like we have to go through word by word and explain all the details. But we're going we're gonna to look at Acts 16, and we're going to try to understand and learn from it the story of how God established that church in Philippi and understand more why Paul feels that way that he does. Because if you just followed along closely as we read that text in Philippians, and if you're familiar with Paul's other writings, like, so for example, First and Second Corinthians, you'll know that when Paul addresses the church in Corinth, he's not so fond. He does tell them that he loves them, that he cares for them, but he is writing to correct major doctrinal issues. As a pastor, when I read 1 Corinthians and I think of Paul's mindset, I think he must be writing this in heartache because he is writing to a church that is so quickly turning from the truth that he had taught them. But when Paul writes to the church in Philippians, he writes to people who he calls partners in the gospel. That word for partnership is the word that we would use for fellowship. It's the Greek word koinonia, if you know that word. But we would translate it either fellowship or partnership or, uh, or even communion sometimes. It is a, it, an, an intense collaboration, partnership going forward. And so let's look together, starting in Acts 16, verse 6. And we're going to look at how God used Paul and his teammates to establish the church in Philippi. There's going to be three major sections in, um, in Acts 16, starting in verse 6. The first section is going to be the call. The second section is going to be the work. And the third section is the end, or also... We can call it the beginning because it's the first day that we just read about in um, Philippians. It is, the, it is the, the start of what is going to be a church. So we have the call 
how, how Paul and his team are called to the city of Philippi. We have the work, what they actually did when they arrived at the city of Philippi. And then we have a very abrupt end to their time in the city of Philippi. And then at the end, we're going to kind of talk about and think through what it looks like that a church that has pastors and deacons and a congregation, a healthy, growing, vibrant church in the city of Philippi, what does it look like that Paul was here for a very short time? And so let's let's pay attention as we look through this. Let's start with the call. And when we look at the call, we are going to see that this is a miraculous call and a willing response. This is a miraculous call and a willing response response. It says, verse 6, and they went through the region of, and here we go, you're going to hear me pronounce this word one time, Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So, so here Paul is with teammates going around doing missionary work of establishing and planting churches through evangelism. And they were wanted to go into a, Asia but apparently they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. I don't know what that looked like, but somehow, some way, they were forbidden. They did not get to go in. Verse 7, and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, hey, they're going to go this next place. It's like, hey, we have this plan. We're going to do this. Oh, nope, we can't do that. Let's do this. Oh, no, another closed door. Okay, well, let's come up with a new plan. Let's pass on by Mysia. And they went, verse 8, to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia. Macedonia is where Philippi is, okay? So think of like, a, like the, maybe the county and the city or the state and the city. So Macedonia is where the city of Philippi is. A man from Macedonia in Paul's dream, vision in the night, was standing there urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And then Paul wakes up and he's like, oh, that can't be from God, let's just ignore my dream. No, that's not what he did. What would you have done? I know if I would have had a dream that I felt like, I'd be like, I don't know, I don't know, I'd, I'd, I'd question it. I'm not saying to just take your dreams at face value, but Paul, Paul knew. He had this dream, and so what did Paul do? It says, verse 10, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You see, Paul heard from God and responded. He didn't wait around. He knew what God's desire for the team was, and it says they immediately went. Now, I don't know if that means they literally packed up and walked out the door, or they took days to prepare. I don't, I don't know the details. But all I know is that there here was a miraculous call on Paul and his team to go to Macedonia, and he was willing and ready to respond. He tried to go to Asia, and that was a no. He tried to go to Mysia, and that was a no. He tried to go to Troas, and that was a no. Instead, he went to Philippi. So, we start with that call. Now we have the work. We have the work. Whose work? Whose work? Well, it's God's work. You say, well, it was Paul's work, or it was 
the team's work. No, it was God's work. And we're going to see in, the, in this next section that God works through eager evangelism. God works through eager evangelism. Paul and his team show up, and, and what do they do? Well, that's what we're going to read about. And as we read about that, we're going to see that in three stories. And as I read these three stories, if you're pretty familiar with the book of Philippians, or, or even actually, so sorry, the book of Acts and the stor- this story of the establishment of Philippians, you're going to know that these three stories are very familiar stories to us as New Testament Christians. Because these three stories tell of an establishment of a work of God in a city where it was, it was not necessarily a, a pleasant place. It was not a place where God had seemingly been doing a lot of work. But Paul goes into the city, and it says, verse 11, um, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to, and here's another one of those words, Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. So here we go, verse 13. He starts his work. It says, on the Sabbath, and this is what Paul would typically do, he would go and he would look for the Jews, because that's what he would do first. He would first go to the Jews and tell them, hey, the Messiah has come, and then he would preach to the Gentiles. And so he went on the Sabbath day to the gate to the riverside where we were supposed to, uh, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, because apparently there was not enough Jewish population here to have a synagogue. So they went to this river, and they sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Apparently there was a group of faithful women. And one of those women was named Lydia, and Lydia is well-known to us as New Testament Christians. She was from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul said, and afterward, she was baptized and her household as well. She urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay, and she prevailed upon us. So Paul shows up, And he has a plan. His plan, as usual, is to preach the gospel to the Jews first. And he does, and he meets this woman and the other women. And they they believe the gospel. They believe in Jesus. They go on from there. They go visit their house, and then they go out the next day. And the next day, we have another story. And I'm going to try to go through these stories really quickly. In, in Acts 16, 25, we have the story of a slave that is made clean and earthly consequences. It says, sorry, wrong verses, 16 through 24. I think I turned to the wrong page. Now I'm all mixed up. It happens, but not usually. Page four. Sorry about that. So as we were going, verse 16, to the place of prayer, we were met there by a slave girl 
who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. So, so there was this, this girl, and she told people's fortunes, and people paid, and she was owned, so she was apparently some kind of a slave or at least worked for some kind of masters, and they made a lot of money. And then she started doing something interesting in verse 17. She started crying out and saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now I would think, hey, that's great, right? That's, a, that, that's good. She's telling the truth, and she was telling the truth. But it seems that there must have been something sarcastic about what she was saying. She apparently had some kind of an evil spirit that gave her some kind of insight, and she was proclaiming this thing, and it says she kept doing it for many days. And, and one of my favorite verses in this text is verse 18. It says, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. Now, I can just picture, you know, you're trying to go about, do the work of God. You're trying to tell people the gospel. And as you do it, this person is just shouting, you know, and you're like, even if she's shouting truth, it's, it's gotten really annoying. And you're just like, Paul's just really annoyed. And he's like, fine, I'm just going to throw, throw this spirit out of you just so that you'll stop being annoying. Well, he does. But you know who wasn't too happy about that? Her owners, her masters, who were making a lot of money out of that spirit. And so they, the owners got so frustrated, verse 19, that they eventually grabbed Paul and Silas and drug them to the marketplace, took them to the authorities. And what did the authorities do? Verse 20, um, or sorry, verse uh, 22, it says, the jo crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely, having received this order and put them into the inner prison fasten their feet in the stocks. So in this case, they says, okay, beat them, throw them in prison. They need to be punished for causing this much disturbance. And they charge the jailer and they say, you better keep him in prison. So they don't, they walk right past the outer jail. They don't put him in those cells on the outside. They go to the inner jail and he's going to about to lock him in the center cell. And then he's like, you know what? I, I've been charged very strictly not to uh, not to, release, to make sure that they don't escape. So I'm going to not just lock them in a cell, but I'm also going to bind them in, in fetters. I'm going to bind their arms, their hands, and their, and their ankles. They will not escape. And by doing this, by this interesting circumstance, this scary circumstance, this one that we would think, humanly speaking, well, that's, that's going to squash the opportunity for the gospel. Paul is able, and, and, his, and his companions are able to reach someone that they could not have reached otherwise. And so this is an indifferent Roman who is reached by gospel living. And you know this story. This story is the story of the Philippian jailer. And they were, they were in their cell singing at night, and there's a great earthquake. And the earthquake happens, and somehow... Not only do the cells open, but even their, their bonds that are on their wrists and their ankles, those, those come open too. I was just going to say, that doesn't happen when there's an earthquake. This is a miraculous movement of God. 
And the jailer, he wakes up and he realizes everything's open and he's like, oh no, I, I, I am a dead man. I, I was charged strictly to keep the prisoners and now they're all going to escape. And I better just put myself out of my misery ahead of time. And Paul calls out and he says, don't hurt yourself. We're all still here. And what does the jailer do? The jailer says, why would anybody that could have just walked out? Remember, this isn't modern day where, you know, like your wanted posters get printed out and get, I mean, if you escape and you get out of town, you're pretty much, you know, you're free. And he's a traveling, you know, a traveling preacher. It would be easy for him to just move on. But no, he stayed. And the jailer says, wow, you are different. Not only were you in prison and singing songs of praise to your God, but then when you had the opportunity to escape, you stayed. And so he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 30. And they answer him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And so he takes them home. He and his family are baptized they're rejoicing because they now call Jesus Lord. They have these three stories. These three stories tell the work that Jesus has done. I want to make some observations, some observations and applications from those stories. The first observation that I want to make is that Paul was led by the Spirit through closed doors and open doors. If you remember, when we read, he wanted to go to Asia and then city after city, but the doors were closed. The doors were closed. I want to encourage you, as you think about your life, I want to encourage you to be attentive to the leading of the Spirit as you seek to be faithful. You see, we, as New Testament Christians, we are given a task. Our task, given to us in Matthew 28 and in Acts 2, is to, to preach the gospel, to reach the unreached with the good news, to baptize them and to teach them. Our job is to continue the work that Paul has been doing here. And so what I want to encourage you to do as you seek to be faithful to that task is I want to encourage you to be aware that God is going to lead you in ways you don't expect. Look, when I, when I went to the church that I'm at now, we were originally in Union City. We're now in Fremont. You, you heard that. When I came to Union City, I did not expect that the way that we would move forward as a church was that we would merge with another church eight minutes away and a third church 20 minutes away and meet in the spot eight minutes away. But that's how God worked it out. And there was actually some sadness in me because I had spent about five years investing in a church body in a place in Union City. And so it was sad for me. But at the same time, I have seen God do amazing work since then. Like I told you earlier, we're working towards planting a church in San Jose. We've been able to help 
coach and preach for a church in San Mateo. There was another church in Castro Valley that we were able to help. We have been able to make a much bigger impact in a way that I did not expect. I thought that God might use me to help revitalize and establish that church in Union City, in that place. But that's not how God had it. Instead, God had a much better plan. Paul could have gone to Asia. He could have gone to Mysia. He could have gone to Troas and spent his time there. But God had something better. And even better than Paul's first plan, second plan, or third plan, God's plan to go to Philippi was much better. So I'd encourage you to be aware of the leading of the Holy Spirit as you seek to be faithful. The next observation that I want to make is that Lydia was prepared to hear and Paul was prepared to speak the gospel. You see, Lydia was faithful, but she didn't know who Jesus was. She was a, she was a Jew. She was following the customs. She was there. And Paul came and looked for the synagogue. There was no synagogue, heard, oh, the Jews gathered down by the river. So he went there, and he preached the gospel. And she believed, and others believed. And so this is the next thing that I want to encourage you as you seek to be faithful is this. I want you to expect the Spirit to put you in situations to proclaim the gospel. You see, so often we think that Telling the gospel, sharing the gospel, telling people the good news is maybe, you know, that's the job of the pastors, or that's the job of someone else, or I don't know what to say, I'm not equipped. But the truth is, that's all of our task, to tell the good news. And so my encouragement to you is to expect that the Spirit will put you in places to proclaim, to teach, to preach the good news. God has established in his sovereignty those who will believe. And so expect that God will lead you to be in those situations to proclaim the gospel. The next observation is this, that Paul's good work landed him in jail, but his faithfulness was used to reach someone unreachable. Once again, similar to the first point, I mean, Paul did not expect that the way that his, that his mission was going to take place in the city of Philippi was to be thrown in jail, but he was thrown in jail. And he doesn't know what's going on. It doesn't tell us that he, you know, had, had a vision and that the jailer was going to be reached. He didn't know. He just sang. He just prayed. And when the opportunity came, he stayed. He didn't escape, knowing that this jailer was charged to keep him, knowing that the authorities had placed him there, knowing, as we'll get to a little bit later, that he was a Roman citizen and he had certain rights that had been violated. But little did he know that through all of this, God would use him to reach someone that otherwise he would not have been in contact with the jailer, and the jailer's family. And so I would encourage you to trust that the circumstances of life 
are intentional and important. You've been through hard times in your life. You've faced very difficult situations. I have been in hard times in my life. I have faced very difficult situations. I don't always know why. I don't know why my son was born with a heart defect. I don't know why there have been deaths in my family. I don't know why certain hard things have happened. But I do know that God uses the hard things in our lives to shape us, to be who he wants us to be for the circumstances that he is going to place before us. Paul was thrown in prison here, or in jail, for a certain reason. This reason became plainly obviously obvious within a day. It was so that he would reach this unreachable person. He would reach the jailer and that family. Because the church that God was establishing in the city of Philippi needed that family to be a part of it. I don't know the details of why, but they needed to. That was God's plan. Later, Paul is in jail multiple other times. In the case of the church in Philippians, in Philippi, um, in, in the case of the church in Philippi, the Paul is in jail again, and he's writing from jail. And they're concerned about him. They're like, Paul, you're in jail. What do we do? And so he writes them a letter. And we're going to look at it tonight. But in that letter, he tells them, hey, God is actually using this for good. Who would know better that God can use hard things like being put in jail than the church in Philippi. Who knows? Maybe the Philippian jailer is one of their pastors now. I don't know. I don't, I don't know, but the point is they know because when Paul came to the city of Philippi, his jail experience there led him to this man and family that he would not have been able to reach otherwise. The end result of all of this is that a church is established. Verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. So basically the police show up and they say, okay, you can let them go, let them, let them leave. Therefore now come and go out in peace. Verse 37, but Paul says to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens. That was, a, that was kind of the, the mic drop moment, if you will. He, he said, by the way, we're Roman citizens. And you see, Roman citizens, not everybody was a citizen, but Roman citizens had certain rights. And one of the rights was, you know, you don't get beaten and thrown in jail without some kind of hearing, without some kind of court date, so to speak. 
And so it says the police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid. And when they heard that they were Roman citizens, so they came and apologized to them and took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. I want you to notice, this was not a long time. This was not a long time that Paul was there. Maybe, maybe a week, maybe a week and a half. Maybe just a few days. I don't know how long they were there. But then Paul left. They wanted him to leave the city, and so he did. Now, if you know anything about Paul's normal practice, he often would, would go to a city and stay for several months and, and, and work to establish the church and set up some, some lay leadership in the church. And then, then he would go, and then he would like leave one of his team members there to keep teaching and preaching and kind of to pastor them until that church has grown up enough to be able to have its own pastor. But the church of Philippi, he didn't get to do that. Instead, he had to depart. He had to leave. And he left them behind. But you know what? This church, through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and sure, Paul certainly had, had opportunity to maybe write letters, or he maybe sent other people. We don't know all the details. But this church grew up to become a church that would partner with Paul in a unique way. In fact, we have recorded in the scripture that this, this particular church, on several occasions, sent financial gifts to help with Paul's ministry. Paul has a deep affection for this church. Because, hey, this is the church that he's not having to write all these letters to to correct their broken theology. But instead, he is writing to thank them for their concern, to thank them for their gifts, and to encourage them that, hey, you should know, just like I know, that hardship does not squash the gospel. But instead can even be used by God to further the mission of and ministry. And so, if I had one big kind of encouragement for you in this passage, it's this. I'm going to encourage you to be willing to engage in the work of evangelism and church planting. And those, those can be intimidating. Evangelism enough is intimidating let alone church planting. But this is the work that we see in the New Testament. That the job of Christians is to proclaim the gospel. And what happens when the gospel is proclaimed is that people believe and they follow. And then they need churches. And so they form churches. That is what has become my passion where I'm at. It's why, as our church, uh, where we're at, it's why we heavily invest in church planting, in, in trying to see more and more healthy congregations established. Because we believe that this is the outworking of the work of evangelism that we see modeled in the New Testament. And so that's my encouragement to you, to be faithful to that task to recognize that through 
the finished work of Jesus, we not only have salvation for ourselves, but we have the good news to carry to the nations, but also to our neighborhoods. And so that's my encouragement to you. Tonight we'll look at what the now looks like for the church in Philippi. Let's pray.